Warning, the Savage Nation contains adult language, adult content, psychological nudity. Listener discretion is advised. And now, the world's most exciting podcast, The Savage Nation, home of borders, language, culture, and here he is, New York Times best-selling author and National Radio Hall of Fame inductee, Michael Savage. Welcome to the free version of the Michael Savage podcast, and I'm going to keep it free for all of you. But there are many of you who would love to be able to listen to my show without any ads. I love ads, but many of you want to listen to the podcast free of ads. So we created something for you, a solution. We call it the Savage Premium. For less than the price of one flat, tasteless beer at your local bar, you can receive access to all of my podcasts going back years ad-free for just $3.99. That's at $3.99 a month. You'll get not only my ad-free podcast, but you will also occasionally receive access to material that is exclusive for members only, and I'm going to give you the list in a minute of what you've, what you've missed. You're going to get an occasional monologue from me, maybe a reading from one of my novels, sneak peeks of interviews before anyone else hears them, archive pieces dating back to 1994. Many things that come up, you're going to get exclusive access to Michael Savage material. Details can be seen on my website, michaelsavage.com, and if you want to join... All you got to do is go to glow.fm and search Savage Premium. That's glow.fm and search Savage Premium. Now, you will always have access to my free weekly podcast. I want to be clear about that. That's my promise to you. But if you want less ads and more Savage, join the Savage Premium Club today and never miss a spoken word of mine. It's glow.fm slash Savage Premium. You can find it on michaelsavage.com. And here's some of the stuff that you have missed so far. Michael Savage reading from his best-selling novel, Countdown to Mecca. My words, my voice. Savage reads from one of his lost journals, Fiji, 1968. Savage's first drive-time show, Hour One. My interview with the Jewish gangster, very popular. I uh, read from my first written, published article, Who Was at the Helm, from 1965. It's heard nowhere but on my premium site. I read passages from my novel, Abuse of Power. Uh, we replayed Fat Al's Tuna. My Savage show from 324.94, the earliest show in the archive, 324.94. My interview with Donald Trump from 110.2011. 110.2011, while Mark Levin was mocking him and Sean Hannity was mocking him uh, and the others were mocking him, I was interviewing Trump. Much more. And remember, subscribers also get ad-free podcasts every week. The cost is less than a beer at a bar, and you get a better buzz with, with the Savage Premium. So go to, go to glow.fm slash Savage Premium for full access to ad-free podcasts and exclusive sound you'll not hear anywhere else. Thank you very much. We now take pleasure in welcoming the 70th Secretary of State, Mike Pompeo, to the Michael Savage Podcast. This is a great honor for me, and I hope the listeners enjoy this interview, especially in these troubling times, as much as I enjoy meeting Mr. Pompeo. Welcome, Mr. Pompeo, or shall I say Secretary Pompeo, to the Michael Savage podcast. Greetings. Secretary, a pleasure to see you on the other side of the screen. We'll, continue. we'll pick it up right away. What a pleasure. Really a great. I'm ready to go whenever you are, sir. Well, I can't. Thank you for having me on. Thank you. This is a real honor. And we take great pleasure in welcoming 
the 70th Secretary of State, Mike Pompeo, to the Michael Savage podcast. Secretary Pompeo, you know, I'm looking at your early life and education. We can talk about the balloons and everything in China. <laughs> we will. But I'm a guy who, who loves to look at backgrounds because in order to know the foreground, you know, you come from immigrant p- grandparents from Italy and you, you grow so high in this great country of ours as an immigrant son myself. I totally relate to the fact that this country is an open book for anyone who wants to, you know, apply themselves to the nation. And, and here we see people complaining about America in ways I could never believe. And I don't want to drag you into my particular <laughs> anguish over this. I'm sure you share it. to a certain, I do share. Yes, sir. To a certain extent. I don't know how we stop this, but I noticed in your background that you were, were perhaps one of the most outspoken critics of China while working for President Trump. Is, is that still true? I must be. Uh, yeah. Uh, you know, Michael, you you have described you know my early life. I, I I felt I feel so blessed for the opportunities this country has given me, and I I, I got to be the Secretary of State for goodness sake, uh, and I came into an administration that was moving in the right direction, but too slowly. For forty years, our idea was engage with China more; they'll become more like us, and I could see that uh, wasn't working. Mm. It was a failed set of policies, and so. I was able to build out a, a set of tools that flipped the script and called out the Chinese Communist Party for the real world, real time threat that they are. Well, where does that leave us? I mean, we can't declare war on China. Have they, in a way, overtly said we're not afraid of you with this balloon business? <laughs> uh, yes, I, I think that's so. And I would describe other ways too. think about the virus. It seems like people don't want to. It's like that's ancient history in some ways. We you know, still still want folks want to wear masks sometimes. But huh. they, they, these folks had a virus that they knew was a, a highly, highly contagious and relatively lethal. And yes. they put tens of thousands of people on airplanes to Milan, for goodness sake, um, foisting you know, millions of deaths on, on the world. Uh, they were spying from their consulate in Houston, Texas. The, the list of things is long. And frankly, they've been at economic war with the United States for 40 years. And so wow. it's not that it's, it's not the, the case that we need to declare kinetic conflict with the Chinese Communist Party. That's that's not remotely my view. Mm. In fact, the way, to, the way to prevent that is to confront them, to demand reciprocal set of behaviors. That is, we're going to treat you like you treat us. So mm-hmm. think about it. you want to buy farmland in the United States near our military bases. Oh, boy. Fair enough. We want to buy military land in China near a Chinese military base. We both know that's not going to happen. So mm. we should let it happen here. Uh, and your your point earlier uh, is we, we've got to find a way to confront this adversary that has declared its intention for hegemonic power. And I'm convinced we can. We're smarter, better, faster. We can. And we have a system that is better. And if we turn to that system and our Judeo-Christian heritage, we'll get there. Well, you mentioned Judeo-Christian heritage. I can't help but noticing details, having grown up somewhat in the art business. My dad had a little store behind you on your right shoulder. Am I seeing a menorah? You are indeed. It's actually made from scrap metal from rockets fired from Gaza. It's a, <laughs> it's, it's a, it's an absolute treasure of mine. Given to you by the Israelis? 
given to me by some Israeli friends. And it, this was this particular artillery was shot down by uh, the air defense system and they melted it into a beautiful menorah. So <laughs> God, you know, I'm a, sorry to pry, but I said, wait, <laughs> is that an illusion of the curtain? Am I I know that that Mr. Pompeo is a devout Christian. What's with the menorah over his right shoulder? <laughs> There's your story. <laughs> well, it's a great one. It's a wonderful story. You graduated first in your class from the U.S. Military Academy as an academician in the past. Myself, I take great honor in my own work in, in getting through U University of California at Berkeley with a doctorate in two and a half years. And I know how hard it is to get real degrees in a world of fake degrees. You were number one at West Point. That's astounding. <laughs> no, that's truly an amazing uh, well, accomplishment. Yeah, I was I was a, I was a pretty good student. And, and to your earlier point, uh, I was I worked my tail off. Yeah, it's <laughs> so all hard, it's hard work. Uh, and, just, yeah. just as you did to get through two and a half years. This wasn't because you were out having fun partying. This oh, was I did. Because, no, no, you're wrong about that. <laughs> I well, did. I had a little bit of fun, too. <laughs> but, but I was always focused on, you know, the, the things that I knew would have a good outcome. And uh, and I, I'm confident you were, too, even if you had a well, little bit of fun. I had age. a goal. I had a family yeah. and I had a goal as an immigrant yeah. son. I knew I was a uh, man child in the promised land. And if I didn't do it, nobody would. And so I, I had to do it yep. now getting to the the issue of the balloons, this mysterious flying objects. I heard former Secretary of Defense Esper say something on Fox today that was very funny. People were saying, I think Martha McCollum said to him, well, could they be E.T.? So Esper said, well, it's hard for me to believe that an extraterrestrial would fly from another galaxy at some phenomenal speed and then go 40 miles an hour over America <laughs> taking pictures. <laughs> uh, Mark is a West Point classmate of mine. I've known him now almost 40, 40 stinking years. Long time. Uh, yeah, look, it's hard to know uh, what these other three things were. Um, I guess is we'll get that uh, shared with us. I, I, I hope they'll share it. We know one of these was Chinese. We know what they were doing. And the dangest thing about it, Michael, isn't the collection. They, they Fair enough. They may have gotten some pictures okay. and soliciting. They may even have learned a little bit about, about our air defense system. That'd be bad. But the worst thing is the whole world watched our sovereign airspace violated for five days on a president who who dithered. That is that's provocative. The, the bad guys will try and drive a truck through weakness. And I'm sure that if you add that to the fact we had 13 Americans killed in the debacle of Afghanistan, we had a president who talked about uh, a minor incursion into Ukraine being OK. And now a five day balloon exercise with no response. The, the, the bad guys are watching. Yeah, I well, it's a, it's a tough to, situation to believe that our president has yet to make a statement about all these incursions in our airspace. Uh, and we know why it's they don't know what he was liable to say when he's giving the speech, <laughs> you know, yeah. he's, he's liable to go off, off track. Michael Savage, a host like no other. Have you become a victim of the timeshare trap? You think there's no way out? Well, Chuck McDowell, founder of Wesley Financial Group, has helped over 35,000 families out of financial hardship by getting them out of bad timeshares. And they may be able to help you too. Listen, if your timeshare agreement goes on forever, if you were told timeshares are a great investment or your maintenance fees will never go up, you, know, you need to get the facts about timeshare cancellation. For over 10 years, Wesley Financial Group has been dedicated to helping folks get out of a lifetime of debt by canceling their timeshares. So they created a free timeshare exit information kit that reveals how the timeshare industry works and your options for cancellation. 
To get your free timeshare exit information kit, simply go to iCancelTimeshare.com. That's iCancelTimeshare.com. I'll say it one more time, iCancelTimeshare.com. Thank you very much. iCancelTimeshare.com. You know, you raised the issue of an incursion, and you and I may disagree on Ukraine. Before I ask you an opinion, I mean, there are so many parallels between Hitler taking the Sudetenland, for example, of a neighboring country saying it was German speaking, therefore it's part of Germany. And Putin saying, well, we're going to take a piece of Ukraine because that area is largely Russian speaking. I understand that. And I do understand the Ukrainians are phenomenally wonderful warriors and they haven't rolled over as quickly as Putin thought they would. But I fear a wider war. I fear a world war and I fear a nuclear exchange. What about you? So I I fear that, too. The question is, how do you prevent it? And uh, maybe we do disagree. My judgment is the best way to prevent it is the way we did for four years is you have to convince Putin that the cost is too high. You know, I often get asked, why didn't this happen on your watch or would it have happened if you were still there? It didn't. And I I think I know why. I think I think Putin could see that we were different cats, right? That uh, that's, that's a little too simplified. And so I think we need to get back to that place. So I think we ought to help the Ukrainians with the tools that they need. I think less of hardware than than information because they're willing to find out. They haven't asked for a kid yet. And I think that is the most likely way to get to a solution. And this will be a negotiated solution with near certainty. Very few times does anyone uh, get total annihilation. You can count on one hand in civilizational history, those examples. Uh, we, ought, we ought to end this thing and help this thing end as quickly as possible. And as long as Putin thinks he's got a shot, this goes on. How would you, if you were in charge, how would you negotiate a settlement to this Russia-Ukraine war? I, I don't I don't. My sense is it's not plausible today. Hmm. I don't think either. I don't think either of the leaders is in a position to present to their own people for probably too long an answer. To, but to go back and make the case that today They've got an answer for that. I think this is going to more blood, more, more more blood, more protracted. You you talked about the examples of World War Two. I take you back to other times, too. It takes something that looks more like exhaustion than we find today. Well, Russia is massing hundreds of thousands of troops, hundreds of thousands. They're they're rearming. Right. They, they, they were about out of artillery rounds. They're now rearming. Right? They're doing the things one would do. I think the Chinese are helping them more than we even know. Um. So my sense is. Uh, from an American perspective, and that's right. how I always always yeah. thought about this, what, what America's interest, preventing Vladimir Putin from using a nuclear weapon. And I think the answer to that stems from he's got to see that the Ukrainians have lasting power and that we're not going to let Europe be rolled through, because uh, I don't think about this as just Ukraine. I think of Moldova. I think of uh, Romania, Hungary, Poland. Uh, his appetite is greater than just Russian speaking Ukraine. Uh, and I, I, here's we, where I would disagree. I think he yeah. may have had that desire. To, yes, to, I agree. To rebuild the Soviet Union. But I think he's gotten his his uh, behind kicked so hard <laughs> by this powerful, incredible nation of warriors. And of course, there's much more to it than that. Going back to John McCain going over there and fostering the, yeah. the overthrow of, let's say, a puppet government 
I mean, they did have peace, a certain amount of peace till 2014 between the two. No, that, that's that's definitely that's definitely that history is important, too. I, I always think of the history, too, where the Ukrainians gave up their nuclear weapons in exchange for a security commitment. Good point. From, from the United States. So I so I agree. The history is fraught and complex. Yes. I hope you're right about Putin's mindset. I really do. I don't think he feels like he's gotten his ass kicked to the extent you have described. Yeah, well, you know, it's hard to say since the yeah. propaganda is so overwhelming. He was dying. Yeah. He had the diseases. He was right. insane. I've yeah, never no, seen it was, a- who I think it was Napoleon who said the first victim of uh, of war is the truth or something. You yeah. would know you're the military guy. You know, everything <laughs> that came out, Putin's dead. He's crazy. He's dying. Russia's lost all the troops. It was all nonsense. Michael, nonsense, not nonsense, all nonsense. He still has a capable fighting force. He has got he's got resources. The Iranians are continuing to provide mm. him tools to. Uh, no, I agree. No, make no mistake about it. I hear narratives of Ukraine on the cusp of pick a word, total victory. Uh, I don't think Putin perceives it that way. And in the end, that's really the thing that matters most are these leaders perceptions. You have called Putin shrewd and calculated in your I think in your great book. Never give an inch fighting for the America I love, which is a great book, by the way. You have met Putin. I have. What is he like? He's pretty capable. <laughs> he, he blew this one. I, I concede. He uh, he had a bad data set that his generals provided him. His, uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I'm trying to be diplomatic, Michael, as best I can. Uh, <laughs> so look, he, a strategic blunder of epic proportions for sure. Mm. But but this is a guy who's a survivor in his own mm. uh, political space who still has uh, real resources, right? He's still, the economy's still cranking along inside of Russia. Mm. Uh, this, is not, this is not a nation that is on the cusp of... Yeah, uh, we were told we, we, we were going to drive him bankrupt. In fact, the rule right. became stronger. And right. I understand that I could be wrong, that we are depleting our own supply of munitions in providing them for Ukraine. It's not Russia who's running out of munitions because they're getting them from China and Iran. Who are we getting the replenishment from? Yeah, these are mostly American made, European made some, but mostly American made munitions. Yes, there's no doubt there are there are issues of industrial base stuff that, frankly, they predate this. But this is exacerbating it. Uh, look, I, so to, to your point on Putin, he he, he does this. Th- his theory of greater Russia is in his DNA, Michael. And it took it took a lot of energy from us in the middle of the Russia hoax. Right. We were we lived for two and a half years of this narrative about what Donald Trump is a Russian asset, for goodness sake. It took it took an enormous amount of effort to prevent Putin from doing precisely what it is he did within months of our departure. Because he saw weakness and he knew Trump and his team, such as yourself, yeah. were different, yeah. as you said, different cats, different kind of strength. The Savage Nation. It's Savage On Demand. You know, the day that President Trump won in 2016, around he came on my radio show at the time and I said to him, would you speak to President Putin prior to your inauguration? And he said on my radio show, Michael, he said, I would speak to President Putin before my inauguration to stop whatever was going on at that time. If I win on November 8th, I think I could see myself meeting with Putin and meeting with Russia prior to the start of the administration. I think it would be. Wow. That's an amazing. That's an amazing news story. That's fabulous, Mr. Trump. I remember very happily it was Russia. You were probably intimately involved. Russia and the U.S. Air Forces combined to destroy ISIS. Those were happy days for me to see Russia and the U.S. 
joining forces against the threat of Islamic terrorism. It seems that everything's gone upside down under Biden. I remember, too, there's a great story that's in the book, Never Given Inch, uh, where uh, the, when I was a CIA director, we had provided the Russians uh, uh, information about a terror plot that was going to take place in St. Petersburg. Uh-huh. And President Trump called me and said, you're not going to believe me, but, but Vladimir Putin's about to issue a press release thanking you for saving Russian lives. And I remember thinking, oh, my gosh, I'm going to get impeached. Right. Like like I'm now I'm part of the problem. <laughs> oh, in you, really, you released it. <laughs> yeah. And so we uh, he does. He puts his press release. So we saved American lives, too. There were a bunch of Chechens with a bunch of explosives. The Russians did the hard work on the ground. We just had been able to suss this out. No, there we ought to find any place that we can cooperate with the Russians. Um, we should do it. And Putin's not in a place to do that. He, he wasn't in, on our watch either. He has a thousand nuclear weapons. I all of that is serious and he is shrewd, but there there are places where I'm confident we can find common ground and we ought to try and do that and take down this very risk that we began this with this risk of a broader, more global, deeper, potentially nuclear conflict. Yeah, but the Ukrainians are not backing down there. I, I have a friend who he's an American lawyer, happens to be Jewish. He actually was there for a couple of years representing a former corrupt prime minister. And he said that he said they're crazy. Ukrainians are crazy. They never quit. He said even when they're winning, they won't quit. He said I had a case that was resolved as a lawyer where the guy was going to win 30 million dollars and the guy fought over like one hundred and fifty dollars in the settlement rather than give in for the 30 million dollars. He said they like to fight. Oh, uh, goodness. I don't know the, the toll on their civilian infrastructure. Oh, it's awful. Nine million is, people. Staggering. Yeah. How does it end, Secretary Pompeo? What has to happen? Yeah, it, it ends. It ends when each side has a conclusion they can get to. And I, I wish I could articulate okay. precisely where the line was. I I, I can't do okay, that. Okay, Fair uh, enough. No, that yeah. makes sense. We yeah. don't know. In other words, more blood, more lost lives, yeah. more d- displacement of populations. Yes, sir. That's so it. you are now going to move with me over to China because this is probably a specialty of yours given your uh, knowledge of the situation in China. And we touched on it earlier. Um, you state that this in your book, you state that the CCP is a Marxist Leninist party focused on struggle and international domination. Well, that's just something I understand. Well, having studied communism since I'm 17 years old, they haven't changed, have they? No. And the current leadership has uh, been both empowered for life and importantly, any anyone who was in the inner circle who thought, boy, we, we should rather than trying to own the whole joint, we should find accommodation with the Americans. Uh, this is a little shorthand that I can use now that I'm the former secretary. Of State. No, I like that. This, this is good podcast material. Yeah. Instead of trying to own the whole joint, let's see if we can't find our place and yeah. we can have us. Now they've they've taken everybody who had that view and basically pushed them aside. In China. The in China. Xi Jinping is now looking for. A, a unitary control. So those who wanted a conciliation with the United States are gone. That's it. it reminds me of the uh, purges, uh, purges on the Mao. Yeah, uh, v- very much that way. I, I think here's a here's a concrete example. When I would meet with my uh, counterparts in the foreign ministry, they were dogged. They were wolf warriors. No room. Uh, Treasury would meet with their finance counterparts, making immense amounts of money on economic commerce around the world. And they'd have real conversations about, hey, how can we figure this out? Those folks are it's now the team that I met with that is mostly in control and the team that the secretary treasurer met with that is uh, in the hinterlands. 
Well, money is a unifying principle in all countries and, <laughs> and commerce is a good thing for most nations. Absolutely. And capitalism does bring nations together, not apart, necessarily drive them apart. Uh, 30 years ago, I had a family member who was the head of the Rand Corporation. And I remember he was a China expert, spoke Chinese fluently. I won't mention his name because he's since passed away. You may have crossed paths with him at some point, but he once smiled and he said, don't worry about problems with China. He said all their generals have land all over the Southeast Asian area. <laughs> he's have gambling casinos. He's never been so happy in their lives. It's unfortunate those days are gone. <laughs> Uh, I wish it were so. I uh, I hope he turns out to be right in the long run. <laughs> I don't know. But you, you're saying that Z, I, I never pronounce his name correctly. Chairman Xi Jinping. Xi Jinping. Yeah, you got it. Yeah. Gigi. It sounds like Gigi, but OK, <laughs> and we're not in Las Vegas here. Uh, can we realistically expect them to invade Taiwan, given what's gone on since Biden's weakness has been on display for the world to see? I think it's more likely than it was just two and a half years ago. Wow. I still think, uh, and I differ. A lot of a lot of my conservative colleagues think they're going to do that. I, I think he, I think his desire to control Taiwan includes the desire to con control a Taiwan that is intact. Mm. That conflict, that fight, will be nasty. And there are big economic resources, primarily a huge company called TSMC that makes nearly all of the high-end semiconductors for the whole world, including for us. Including in, for in, Taiwan, in Taiwan. It sits in Taiwan. It is a massively, maybe the most important company in the world mm. in many respects because of the high-end uh, technology that they possess. You know, I've, I've seen war games, the, the likelihood that that facility survives and that the workforce survives capable of still doing that is pretty low. And so I think she wants to take that and take that resource and so he'll use different tools to control Taiwan as, as opposed to an invasion. He'll use something that feels and looks more like political influence, espionage, a blockade, maybe taking one of the outer islands, things that could, the things that drive the Taiwanese leadership to cry uncle. Maybe balloons, some kind of a circus. Who balloon. knows? Multiple balloons. Yes. Circus balloons flying over <laughs> Taiwan, making them all cry and leave. You no know, weather balloons, Michael. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I didn't follow the party line on that one. <laughs> The Savage Nation. It's savage, uncut, unfiltered, and raw. Getting uh, back to local politics, because we had a slight victory in winning the House and Speaker McCarthy. I mean, it was a squeaky little victory, which people were celebrating a little too soon. They'd say we were going to have a big sweep way back six months ago. I was saying not so fast. I don't like the, the Ides of March. I don't think we're going to have a huge victory. We had a little victory and we have a great um, a speaker of the House, McCarthy. And you said that McCarthy's recent decision to kick Schiff off of the House Intelligence Committee accused accusing the California Democrat of leaking classified information when he was on the panel. Here's what you said. Adam Schiff lied to the American people. And during my time as CIA director and secretary of state, I know that he leaked classified information that had been provided to him. Secretary uh, Pompeo, could you speak to what Schiff released and how does he get away with this without being in indicted? Boy, uh, it's a fair question. The answer on indictment is that Merrick Garland's the attorney general today. Thank you. End of question. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, <laughs> look, it was it was it was demonstrably the case that information that was shared uh, from the administration to the, the committee that Schiff was the chairman of. I I've known Adam for uh, since I served on the committee with him. Okay. Uh, and the information we shared with him just miraculously ended up in the public space. And uh, I had no time for that. So we we began to 
you know, self-help, not provide that information. And that's unfortunate because we wanted to be able to share it with legislative branch so they could do their jobs, too. Hmm. You know, I sorry, I'm so fascinated by intelligence and counterintelligence. Maybe it's my suspicious nature being a New Yorker by training. <laughs> uh, but, you know, you were head of the CIA. Then you're the secretary of state. I'm just curious as a civilian looking into the CIA and how the, 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 the climate of the CIA when I was young, let's say going back to even Eisenhower, I go back a long way. <laughs> and I was a kid then. And then then Kennedy and LBJ and moving our way all the way up, Nixon, you name it. And now we have a different CIA with a different ethos. When you were hiring, I mean, you obviously weren't in the hiring division, human resources. <laughs> what kind of people did you, not field agents? That's a different breed of animal, isn't it? Someone who's in the field analysts. What kind of people did you seek? I was looking for nonpartisan, brilliant people with a wide range of backgrounds that didn't just come from, you know, Tufts that didn't just come from the, <laughs> no, no offense to, no offense to anybody. <laughs> no, no, I know Tufts, yeah, great dental school. But yeah. For, for those who don't know Tufts, it's a, it's a fine school that teaches people how to think about the world, but I wanted people who with street savvy with street smarts, in addition to just purely the capacity to have said, we read all these fancy books. Ah. And so even in the analytic world, I wanted people who could who could step back from the data set and come at it in a way that a real risk taker would need to and think, try to put themselves out of the American cultural milieu and put themselves when they're doing analysis in the in the place that the decision makers who we were evaluating uh, were sitting. And because if you do analysis, if you say, well, gosh, this is how somebody think about it in Brussels, you're just going to get it wrong. Right. In, <laughs> other, in other words, don't think the way they would think, think the way. Your adversary might think, you know, I'm precisely like a tough Irish cop in an NYPD division in New York in the 50s. Those were my model for people who thought that way. Right. That kind of thing. If they they went to a homicide scene, they looked around and they put two and two together pretty quickly when they were looking for the perpetrator by certain evidence. I don't think that goes on anymore. I think now they are picking people based upon. Uh, demographic choices, yeah. uh, sexual orientation and things of that nature. Where does that leave us? Uh, at risk. <laughs> okay. You're, no, it does. You're, no, you're, you're precisely right. Uh, by the way, that goes for our United States military as well. So another institution that I had the chance to serve in for 30 years. I, I, it's incredibly important. Uh, my, my, my tank gunner, I tell this story in the book and never give an inch. My tank gunner was uh, not, uh, was a naturalized American citizen of Arabic descent. Hmm. And he was my tank gunner because he was a really good tank gunner and I wanted to live. Not uh, because he was not because of his ethnicity or his background. Right. Like, like, can you hit a moving target at three miles going 60 miles an hour? That you're my man, because that's what I need. And that's what my tank platoon and my company commander need. We've walked away from merit as the central thesis of how we reward people in the United States right. and our government institutions in particular. And that is that's no good, Michael. We have to get back. Yes. The rewarding meritocracy. I grew up with it and we had a fight for every inch of whatever I achieved in my life. It was a fight from the day the day I was born. My father, who was an immigrant, said that to me. You know, he said, if you're not careful, they'll throw you on the third rail naked. (laughs) If he turned out to be more right than wrong with what's going on in New York today. It's frightening to see what's going on in our cities, isn't it? Yeah, no, it's a. Look, there's multiple reasons for this. It's not okay to say 
uh, stealing 900 bucks is the limit right out in California. California. This is just insane. And and by the way, everyone, no, no, there's no one that def- that can actually defend that intellectual. It's not okay to teach kids that there's a, that this was a racist nation founded on, with an oppressor class. Like these things are additive and cumulative, and they undermine yes. the traditions that we were speaking about. And and that's how you end up with cities like uh, like New York and San Francisco today. Absolutely. My my son lives up in New York. Been there eight or nine years. It's far worse today than it was eight or nine years ago. It's it's physically riskier and it's less functional as well, one I of thought the- that Adams would make a difference being an African-American former police captain. But it turns yeah. out he's he's made it worse. It's things have gotten worse. And I guess yeah. they smell weakness the same way the Chinese yeah. and others smell weakness. Yeah. They no, talk you've got one it. way and they do another. Right. You, you've got it right. We draw rules as a conservative. You know, I've been frustrated a little bit. Um, sometimes conservatives say, oh, well, you know, the fact that uh, the the people rioted on the Capitol. No, they rioted on the Capitol. Goodness sakes, we should they, we should hold them accountable for rioting on the Capitol. Uh, we should have held them for rioting in Minneapolis and Seattle and for taking over the what was right. it called that the Chaz. Like the yeah. the rule of law stinking matters, uh, not yes. just in instant, but it's the cultural norms that fall away if you don't get that right. Well, I watched Trump during the riots, even in D.C. when he walked to that little church because I stayed in the in the Hay Hotel across the street i know that <laughs> right little there, church yeah, yeah i love yeah, that yeah. hotel i love yeah. that church i had prayed he'd call out the national guard as six presidents prior to they had been called out six times before that during riots and i don't know who advised trump not to call out the national guard but that's that's water under the bridge home of borders language culture the savage nation i know your time is limited and you're doing interviews all day long and we want to talk uh, before you leave about your book, Never Give an Inch Fighting for the America I Love. I noticed that your Christian faith is mentioned, and I have to end with that in a way, because I think that must be somewhat of an underpinning for your fight. Is that true? It is. It's who I am. Uh, I, get, I would get asked, Mike, how can you be a Christian in the secretary of state? And I would, I would say, you know, my, my duty is that I swore an oath to the Constitution, but my worldview, my view of human dignity and the way America should treat each other is informed by my faith. And, you know, I, I, I view them as cumulative, not 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 uh, not in uh, intention with each other. Uh, and so we worked on religious freedom around the world and at home. And uh, it always reminded me, too, Michael, uh, we were facing tough problems. Right. There's just a lot of a lot of tough problems in the world. And that there was something bigger out there, that there was a cause that was greater than me, bigger than me. And I would pray that I would get the the guidance to get it right. The, the failures were all mine. Uh, any success I attributed to uh, the Lord helping me get to the right place. Sometimes I wake up and I wonder if God has left the theater. Yeah. You know, Elvis know. has left the theater. I'm sure you got the joke. I, I do get it, but I know you believe he, he hasn't. He's still watching. Well, I go in and out like but people say, to me, how could you really believe? I said, well, I do. And I don't sometimes I'm like Mother Teresa. People found out after she passed away <laughs> that she had many, many, many days of wondering where, you know, he was. Yeah. And and, you know, sometimes I, I've walked away and I've come back and I say, forgive me for leaving you. And, and the answer from the heavens is I never went anywhere. You did. Hey, right. Uh, uh, there are I, I, I don't I, I don't want to disabuse you of this notion that I have perfect days. And I always think, oh, my gosh, he's right there. Um, but I, I am confident that he is. 
Well, I hope he saves America before it's too late. And Amen. you have hope that we can be saved as a nation. hundred percent. How? I'm, I'm, I'm long America. Uh, in, in the, there's a famous Churchill line where he says that America always gets it right after they've exhausted all the other possibilities. <laughs> that must have been after a half a bottle of brandy. Uh, wouldn't surprise me at all. Um, but in the end, um, we've always found our way back. Uh, and I, I, I've seen people that are saying, screw it. I'm going to go run for the school board. Uh, right. I, I'm going to, you know what? I'm going to go to the PTA meeting. I'm going to cook chili dinner at my synagogue or my church. Right. I, it's not going to happen, Michael. Last thing, I, and I know we got to run. It's not going to happen because we're going to elect some great president. I hope we elect a great president uh, and that will matter. But in the end, it's going to happen because the American people will say, enough, going to fix it. I'm going to take some of this on myself. I'm right. going to build my family. I'm going to protect my community and we'll get it right. That's always the way. When America has wandered, we've always gotten it back from the bottom up. And I pray that that's the case here, too. I think it will be. And before you go, I have to say this right at, at that juncture, because I have people in my family who are phenomenal people who are so depressed over the country under Biden and the open borders and the mess we have. And they say it can't be fixed. They're rigging the elections and only one third of the American people will ever stand up and fight. And I have to say, remember this. It was only one third of the American people who who basically fought against the British. One third said, don't fight them. One third said, I don't care. And it was only one third who said it's worth fighting for our freedom. It's the same one third, isn't it? It, it, it doesn't take everyone. It doesn't takes take everyone. Of, it takes enough of us who say we're going to go put our shoulder to the stone. And, and I, I believe that's still out there. The time is now. We got We got to go do it because I agree with you. The clock is running. Uh, but I'm convinced we're still we're still inside the time limit. I think in order to win, we've got to take our shoulders to the stoners. <laughs> <laughs> Secretary Pompeo, a true pleasure getting to see you on the Zoom screen. Uh, bless you. Thank you so much for your time. And I really recommend that everyone, you better go out and buy Never Give an Inch Fighting for the America Love, not because the secretary needs the money, but he needs the support and the message needs the support. That's the object of the book, the support for the concepts in that book. Secretary, thanks for being with us. Michael, thank you so much. Good luck to you. I know so, I, I can use it because he's. <laughs> Amen. Thank you. Thank <laughs> so you long. Much. Love the menorah. Bye now. Uh, thanks. See you. Bye. Michael Savage, a host like no other. During my interview with Secretary Pompeo, I mentioned what former Defense Secretary Mike Esper said about this so-called ufo balloons it was very funny and he said that uh, he said uh, mr esper was a classmate of his at west point i think we should listen to what former defense secretary esper had to say about are they ufos right now on the michael savage podcast i'm confident in saying that i doubt that the aliens would travel across the universe and all of a sudden to decide to conduct surveillance over lake huron in a balloon moving 20 miles per hour if, if that's their plan then i think we're in good shape and we now know we can shoot them down, but I, I don't think that's true at all. Look, I, my hunch is that, that these are weather balloons or scientific experiments put off by another country, another comp a company or some nonprofit. We'll learn that in due course. And we should know pretty quickly based on what's in the payloads and the packages and, you know, where the technology is, is, is built to do and all that. So I, I, I think it'll just take a matter of time and a lot of this will get cleared up. Well, I would guess that we'll find some electro-optical equipment. We may find 
signals and uh, collection equipment and, and maybe other type of stuff that does a variety of measurements. I think what, that's why it's very important. I said from the beginning, we should not aim to shoot it down, but bring it down. And, and they, we were able to do so in a way that, it, that what we're hearing is they kept the package largely intact. But once we go through that, we'll be able to know what they got, uh, what level of detail, uh, fidelity, capacity. Uh, it, it will also tell us uh, what they were looking for. That may give us some indication of what the gaps are in their satellite coverage. It may give us some insights into, uh, you know, the Chinese intelligence collection writ large. So I think it's very, very important that we do very careful forensics on this uh, instrument package that, that we're pulling out of the ocean. Many Americans are alarmed, and they should be. I, I can't, you know, I grew up in the Cold War and went to West Point when the Cold War was still hot. And uh, I don't recall ever uh, some type of foreign adversaries. Uh, aircraft or balloon flying unauthorized over our territory, taking photographs and, 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 and loitering, looking at our strategic missile fields. It's just unprecedented. So it, it caught us all off guard. And I think the fact that we had these two folks uh, see it on the ground, report it, it caught the administration off guard. Now, I, I think this will be a subject of congressional inquiry is, you know, what did the Pentagon know? What did the White House know? When did they know it? Uh, what happened in the reporting chain? It could be that the, the Pentagon saw it and said, we've seen these things before and, uh, you know, let it keep going. Or maybe they told the White House, maybe they had a counterintelligence plan. Who knows? I think all this is is uh, open for questioning from uh, the Congress and we need to get to the bottom of it. Well, I think the basic question is sovereignty, right? I think it's the, the duty of the military and it's the obligation of the president to safeguard America's sovereignty, whether it's uh, on the ground or in the air or from the sea. And in that regard, you have to have control of your borders, again, on the ground, uh, from the air or from the sea. And, and, and we don't have control of our southwest border, for sure. So all these things are, are really important, and uh, we, need to, we need to make it a priority. Well, thank you very much for listening to today's podcast. I hope you've enjoyed it and you'll learn something from it. We have about 400 other episodes available for you to listen to absolutely free. You can go back into our vast library of podcasts and listen to any one of them at any time. And remember this, if you want to listen to my podcast ad-free, sign up for the Savage Premium Membership and get access to ad-free podcasts as well as some premium content from our Savage Archives. How do you sign up for those ad-free podcasts? Please visit michaelsavage.com for a link. Again, thank you for your listenership. This is Michael Savage. taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on that's nice at caskers.com we make this experience easy caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne discover the top flavors of the year now by going to caskers.com and using code welcome 10 for ten dollars off your first purchase get ten dollars off your first purchase with code welcome 10 at caskers.com